Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak your word to us. That we would hear your word. That it would bear fruit in our lives. All to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And kids, if you haven't already, I invite you to head to the back for your special program. Who is Jesus? What do we mean when we say that he is the Son of God? Who is the Holy Spirit? What is the Trinity? What is the church? That is, who are we? What will happen in the end? And perhaps more fundamental than any of these for some of us is simply, who cares? Does any of that really matter? I would suggest that these are incredibly important questions. Important questions for those who do not believe in Jesus in order to understand and to help decide if we are going to trust in and follow Jesus. They're also very important for Christians to address so that we can better understand the faith that we profess. So my hope and my belief is that this sermon series that we're beginning today will in some way connect with each one of us. Today we begin a new sermon series on Sunday mornings that will help lift our minds and our hearts in worship. At least that's the goal. So for the next six weeks, what we're going to do together is we're going to look together at one piece of our worship together each Sunday, the Nicene Creed, something we affirm together each time. The creed that we say together each week. And our goal is that certainly we would better understand some of the content as we affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. But also then for that understanding to lead us into greater and more passionate worship of our great God. As we recognize these great truths that we affirm together, I think we'll find that our hearts and minds are elevated in worship. And when we engage in this well, I think we'll discover that we're transformed in the process. So we're going to look together at the Nicene Creed. And the good Anglican in me, recognizing that we have a church calendar where we set, we look at certain days uh, each year, this series lines up kind of nicely with some of those big days in the church year. And so, as I said, the Anglican in me thinks that's kind of cool. So, for example, Ascension. We will look at the part of the creed that talks about the ascension on that day. Uh, Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, lines up nicely with that part of the creed. The whole thing is about the Trinity, and it will fall on Trinity Sunday. And then, of course, there's today, where we begin, we believe in God the Father on Mother's Day. But as one person pointed out to me this week, we do affirm that he was born of the Virgin Mary, so perhaps that could be our Mother's Day connection. But the goal with all of this is to do it with an eye to worship. And I hope that we will learn things so that we better understand the truths that we profess. But I also hope and pray that we will be drawn up in worship as a result. So let's look together at this part of the worship that we have together, this part of our worship service, the Nicene Creed. 
So I promise this will not be an extended historical look at the creed, but let me give you just a real brief snapshot of where it came from, a little background. In the year 325 AD, the bishops of the church were called together to sort through a major theological issue that was causing confusion. People were trying to make sense of the Bible's teaching on who Jesus is. Is he God? Is he a creature? Is he neither? Is he both? Trying to figure out who is Jesus and what does the Bible teach about him. And so the Roman emperor at the time, Constantine, called the bishops together to sort it out. Now, the emperor called the meeting, because he's the emperor and he does stuff like that. But contrary to what things like the Da Vinci Code and its author Dan Brown in writing his fiction claim, contrary to what they claim, he didn't run the meeting, he didn't uh, dictate what the result was going to be, he didn't have his finger in it like that. He called the meeting and said, you bishops sort it out because there's some confusion here and I want to get you guys together to sort this out. He was the emperor that called it together, but then the bishops, the leaders of the church, came together to discuss some important issues. And they discussed, discussed a whole bunch of things, including, interestingly, how we determine the date of Easter each year. That was, part of, that was on the agenda as well, among other things. But by far, the most important thing that they discussed, the most influential part of this council, was the discussion of who Jesus is. Looking together as the educated leaders of the church at the Bible's teaching and beginning to carefully craft a succinct statement about who Jesus is. And the result of that meeting is, uh, became the first draft of what we now know as the Nicene Creed, which is what we affirm together each week. It was finalized some 50 years later, and the church has been reciting it in unison throughout the world ever since. So when it begins, we believe, we're hearing and joining with the leaders of the church state in unity what we believe the Bible teaches us about God, that he exists as the Trinity, one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we affirm that today as well. Amen. Now this morning I don't want to do quite as much detail on the content. I want to give a little bit more of an overview of why do we keep saying this? Why do we do this every week? We only get an hour and ten minutes together each week. Why do we spend part of that every single week focused on and reciting the exact same words in the exact same way every week? Um, why do we do this every time and affirm what we believe beyond the fact that our prayer book, our bishops, tell us we have to? Beyond that, uh, which they do, uh, beyond that. So I want to give you five reasons why I believe that doing this as a part of our worship each week is so important. So first, we recite the creed because God tells us to. We recite the creed because God tells us to. Well, he didn't tell us to recite this creed, to be fair, but he does tell his people to recite and even recite constantly the truth of his word. Our reading from Deuteronomy chapter 6 today says this, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So God tells us to recite and memorize and talk about and teach the truth of his word. And the Nicene Creed is one way that we do that today. And I think it's especially important and helpful for us to realize that doing this over and over again is something that God tells his people to do. He wants us to recite and memorize and teach his word. And for those of us who may be from traditions where repeating something over and over again like the creed is unusual or strange, I think it's important for us to realize that God has always given his people the task of faithfully memorizing and repeating out loud the truth of who he is and what he's done. So simply, we do this because this is the sort of thing God tells us to do. Second, reciting the creed shapes belief. Reciting the truth over and over again actually begins to shape our belief. Reciting it together each week helps the truth of its message sink down deeper and deeper into us. It becomes part of us in a very real way. What we fill our minds with regularly and constantly really becomes part of us. I have a friend who, I like to say, thinks in Seinfeld. You know the comedy TV show, Seinfeld? She loves that show and knows it so well that just about everything in her life is a reference to Seinfeld. And so if I ever come up with a Seinfeld reference, I can count on her to appreciate it and to get it and to laugh. That TV show has, in that way, really become a part of her in that sense. And so she often really does think in Seinfeld. Reciting the creed helps us do that with God's word. Reciting the creed helps us learn to, if you will, think in Bible. To think and process the world in the way that God intends. And so reciting the creed each week or each day, as many do, helps do that for us. It helps to shape our minds and our hearts to see and understand the world as we should, informed and shaped by God's word. Reciting the creed like this helps shape our belief. Third, reciting the creed unites us with the church community. Unites us with the church community. We say this together, as our reading today from John emphasized, we're, we're together as one flock under one shepherd. We're, we're united together as we say this together. And I want you to realize that today, there are a couple billion, that's billion with a B, billion people who will affirm our faith with these words today. In languages all around the world, Christians will unite today in declaring together that we believe this. And this is part of the reason that our tradition requires it, that we say it each week, because we say this together in this room, but also with Christians all around the world. 
That's also why when we say the creed in, in this church, we all face the same direction. You'll notice the, the clergy turn away from you. So we're all facing the same direction as a symbol that we're all affirming this together, looking the same way, looking towards the cross, affirming this together. And in doing so, this unites us with the church community sort of in the way that saying the Pledge of Allegiance does for Americans. We together state our allegiance to the same country in the Pledge of Allegiance. And in the creed, the whole church, regardless of nationality, pledges together to the same faith in the one true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Reciting the creed together is our Pledge of Allegiance together, united as the community of God. Fourth, reciting the creed is a shorthand for the teachings of the Bible. It's a shorthand for the teachings of the Bible because every phrase in the, in the creed comes from the Bible and is taught by the Bible. Let me give you an example. It begins, we believe, that's the call to each of us in Romans 10 and John 1. We believe in one God, that's Deuteronomy 6 and Isaiah 44. He's God the Father, that's Isaiah 63, 2 Peter 1, Matthew 6. He's the Father Almighty, that's Genesis 17 and Psalm 91. He's the Maker, that's Job 4 and Isaiah 17. He's the Maker of heaven and earth, that's Genesis 1, Psalm 104, Jeremiah 51. He's the Maker of all things, that's Genesis 1 visible and invisible. That's a quote from Colossians 1. And that's just the first sentence. So each time we're affirming this, we're affir affirming a shorthand for the teachings of the Bible about God. And it's important that we believe certain definite, specific things about God because they're true. We do need to know some specific things about God that's taught in the Bible. We do not know everything about God, certainly, but we do know some things. And those things that we do know, because he's revealed them to us, those things that we do know and can know matter. Now, my wife knows me pretty well, but she does not know everything about me. But knowing certain things about me is essential for her in order to know me at all. Knowing me is far more than just knowing a bunch of things about me, but you can't know me without knowing at least some of the key things about me, right? I remember once having a boss who regularly thought he knew things about me, but were just wrong. And he would treat me as if his misunderstandings were true. And I had a coworker who was a friend of mine who would tease me, I mean just playful banter, um, would tease me and joke me, and I had to go to him one time, his name was Jimmy, and I had to say, Jimmy, please stop teasing me because the boss thinks what you're teasing me about is true. Stop. But I discovered firsthand how painful it can be when someone thinks they know you, but they don't. And reciting the creed together helps make sure we don't do that about God. It's a shorthand for the teachings of the Bible of things that we need to know and we need to believe. <coughs> and then fifth, 
reciting the creed deepens our relationship with God. See, Christianity is not just a checklist of beliefs. It does involve accepting some specific concrete beliefs about God and the world, but it is not just a check all the boxes of things that you believe. Christianity, following Jesus, is a relational faith in which we trust in the personal God and we enter into humble relationship with Him. And believing and reciting the creed helps us enter into that sort of relationship with God. When we first adopted our daughter Lydia, she was almost eight years old, and that was almost two years ago. When we first adopted Lydia, she would sometimes get very anxious as she was learning to trust that mom and dad would take care of her. That was hard. And so one of the things that we taught her to say out loud when she was in those times was, Mommy, I trust you. And she would get anxious and struggle sometimes letting us take care of her. And she was in those times learning to say, Mommy, I'm trusting you. And see, reciting that for her helped her enter into the right kind of relationship with her mom and dad. Reciting the creed, reciting it faithfully and repeatedly, helps us do the same with God. Deepening our relationship with God. It's not just about getting the logic right, but it's about reorienting our hearts to properly respond to God. And the creed helps deepen our relationship with God because it teaches us true things about God, and it helps put us in the right place with Him, a place of trust and belief and awe and love. So when we say in a moment, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible, we're saying that we trust in and we are trying to be in right and humble relationship with God. We're being obedient, doing what he tells us to do, to recite and to keep the truth of his word before us as often as we can. We're allowing his word to shape our belief. We don't decide for ourselves what's true, but we submit ourselves to trust in and accept and be shaped by his word, which is the truth. When we affirm our belief in one God, we're uniting ourselves with the church community here and around the world because we believe this together. This is our Pledge of Allegiance, together. And we use this as a shorthand for the teachings of the Bible, what God tells us is true. We can't recite the whole Bible together, but we can recite this. And in doing so, our relationship with God can be deepened and enhanced. We seek not only to just say true things about God, but also to know Him personally. So you and I can know God. Not just know about Him, but know Him. So as John writes in 1 John chapter 5, And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding, but He's given us understanding 
so that we may know him who is true. So we recite these words in obedience to God, in order to shape our beliefs and conform them to the Bible, in order to unite ourselves with the church community here and around the world as a shorthand for what the Bible teaches us about God, and in order to deepen our relationship with God, the God who is the Trinity, who became one of us in Jesus to live and die and rise again for us, who is with us in the Holy Spirit to give us life, to guide us, and to lead us into the truth.